Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from all three readings that you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, what is the worst thing you've ever done? I mean, think about your life from when you were born to current day. What would you describe as the single worst moment of your life as a person? Would it be that you told a lie? I mean, who of us have never lied, right? Even if we're just talking about those, those tiny little white lies that don't really harm anyone. What about lying to your parents, you know, as to, to where you were, who you were with, what you did, why you came home late? I mean, you made it home eventually, right? What if it's a little more personal against someone? Like, like maybe you denied knowing them. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that some of you have been in a store before, and you're walking and you see somebody that you know, but you don't really want to talk to them right now, and so you make sure you don't make eye contact, or maybe you take a detour to avoid them, or maybe you've even had someone call out your name as you're walking past, and you just pretend like you didn't hear them. I mean, it doesn't really harm them, because they don't really know what you did. But how many of you have done something even more personal to someone, like actually rejecting them, ending a relationship, a friendship, whatever it might be? You broke up with your significant other. You stopped being friends with somebody. You turned your back on someone. And maybe you didn't do it in the nicest way possible, or you didn't really have the best reasons to do it. I mean, everyone knows the it's not you, it's me, breakup line, right? Which really does mean, no, it's totally you. I just don't want to tell you. Plus, I mean, it's not like lying, bearing false witness against someone is wrong. Maybe you've done something even worse, though. What if you had sex with someone who's not your spouse. I mean, listen, this is the 21st century, right? Who actually saves themselves until marriage anyways? Everybody else is doing it, so it must be okay, right? Or like, you know, if I'm already acting like I'm married, I mean, why do I have to even get married, right? Why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? Am I right? Don't throw around words like adultery, though. And what if you're actually married? I mean, who's actually faithful nowadays? Marriages can be open to other relationships and people, even if the other person doesn't know about it. Plus, sometimes a man's got to do what a man's got to do. Okay, fine. I'll just look, but I won't touch. I mean, I can look at a woman lustfully, and I can pretend that she's mine even though she isn't mine. I mean, whether it's in person or online, and, and that's not adultery because I'm not physically touching her, right? Right? 
Maybe you've done something even worse, though. What if you actually murdered someone? Murder, whoa, that is a bit extreme. And I'm sure that none of you have ever committed murder, right? Because if you did, you'd still be locked up. So we can just move on from this one. Unless you actually did the crime and, and did the time, and, and now you're out, because that happens sometimes. You know, now you're rehabilitated. So we'll just move on. We won't talk about it. And besides, it's not like hating someone, thinking bad thoughts about them in my head is murder, since it doesn't actually harm them physically, right? All of these things that I just mentioned have all been done by people in the Bible. Specifically, people who the three readings that you heard from today are about. Abraham lied about who Sarah was to protect themselves while they were traveling. Abraham slept with Sarah's servant, Hagar, to try and bring an heir into their family because they weren't able to conceive and God was taking too long. Paul, who wrote Romans, was a persecutor of the early church. He persecuted the early followers of Christ, set about having them arrested and killed. Peter denied knowing Christ, not once, not twice, but three times. He rejected Christ, got in the way of Christ and what he was trying to accomplish, put his foot in his mouth a few times, and looked pretty foolish doing it. And those three right there, Abraham, Peter, and Paul, when you think about it, those are some of the most important people in the Bible. Abraham is the one who followed God to the land where he didn't know he was going to. And God told them that he was going to bless him and make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the grains of sand on the seashore. Even though Abraham at this point was old and didn't have any children yet. And when that first child did come, Isaac, Abraham was ready and willing to sacrifice that child because God told him to. Peter was one of the first disciples called by Jesus, left his life of fishing to be a disciple, was in Jesus' inner circle, and he was there at all of the significant events where there were only a few of them who witnessed certain things, like at the transfiguration that we celebrated two weeks ago, at Jairus' house when Jesus healed Jairus' daughter when he brought her back from the dead. They were there, Peter was, with the other closest ones, closest to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter is the one who gets out of the boat and walks on the water towards Jesus. Peter is the one who preaches at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. So if you were to put a face and a voice to the original disciples, I think it goes to Peter. And then there's Paul, who meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, is responsible for about two-thirds of the writings in the New Testament, carried the word of God across the world, fearless in his approach. 
And both Peter and Paul died for their faith. They were persecuted and martyred. And all three of these men, Abraham, Peter, and Paul, fell into temptation. They were all sinners. Liars, cheaters, adulterers, and murderers. That's because the Bible is full of liars and cheaters and adulterers and murderers and people who reject God. But you know what? God says that all of them are worth saving. I mean, just take a look at the gospel reading. Peter had just gotten done admitting that Jesus is the Christ, this great confession of Peter, when he no sooner messes things up. Jesus began to speak of the events that were about to take place, that he would suffer, that he would be rejected by the people, and then those same people were going to kill him. And Peter's response is to rebuke Jesus, to tell Jesus that he's wrong, that that is never going to happen. And Jesus' response is to call Peter Satan and tell him that he doesn't have the mind of God, he has the mind of man. Peter can't see the big picture, even though Jesus had just told him. And is there any worse name, really, that you can be called than Satan? God's greatest adversary, the father of lies, the enemy of the cross. What's worse than that? Peter, you are acting like Satan right now. Here's the important thing, though. It didn't matter how much Peter got in the way. Nothing was going to stop Jesus from doing what he needed to do, no matter how hard it was going to be for him to do it. We see that after the transfiguration, Jesus' sights are set on Jerusalem because he knows that it was there where he is going to be arrested and ultimately crucified and put to death on the cross. Yet he does it willingly because he knew that it was the only way to save people like Peter. And it was the only way to save people like Paul who writes in Romans chapter 5 that you heard already. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In their sin, in their rejection, in their denial, in their lies, while they are still acting like Satan, opposed to Jesus and everything that he is, Jesus died for Peter and Paul. Why? Because that's what God does. Because that's what love does. Because God, who is love, lays down his life for the ones he loves. Because it was the only way to bring forgiveness of sins. It was the only way to fix the world that has been broken because of sin. It was the only way to make right what has been made wrong because of sinful actions. It was the only way to bring restoration and healing to a people who need it. It was the only way to bring life where there is only death. And it was the only way to bring eternal life where there is only hell and condemnation. 
You have all been born into sin. You are a sinner. And in your sin, you're a liar, a cheat, a rejecter of God. You are weak and ungodly. And in those moments, you are Satan. You have chosen to make yourself like God. You have chosen your own way, a way that is opposed to God. And you have thus made yourself his enemy. I am a liar and a cheat, a rejecter of God. I am weak and ungodly. And in those moments, I am Satan. I have chosen to make myself like God, chosen my own way, a way that is opposed to God, and have thus made myself his enemy. But God still says that you and I are worth saving, that you are worth dying for. In fact, Paul says that God loves you so much that while you were enemies of his, Jesus was reconciling you to himself by his death on the cross, that he was fixing, repairing all of our sin. He was the good shepherd that was searching for his lost sheep and laying down his life for his sheep by taking our sin, by taking our lies, by taking our adulteries, by taking our murders, our lustful thoughts, our hatred, our rejections of him. He was taking them all and putting our consequences, death and hell, on himself. He was becoming our sacrificial lamb, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world in order to bring life. And there is nothing, nothing that we do to deserve it. We are only deserving of death, of hell, of damnation. And that is exactly what Jesus took off of us and placed on himself on the cross. So instead of death, we get life. And because Jesus did not stay dead, he came back to life. We are saved by his life. His resurrection from the dead proves that he has made possible what he set out to accomplish, the salvation of the world, the saving of many lives. And he sent us his Holy Spirit to give the gift of faith, so that we all can believe this, to believe in him, to follow him, to serve him, just like Abraham, Peter, and Paul, taking up our cross, following him in life, even if it means that we lose our life while doing so. Jesus Christ died for the sins of your past, the sins of your present, and the sins of your future. And you can come and lay them all down at the foot of the cross. He died and rose for you in order to secure your future. A future that is full of everlasting life. A future that is in heaven. And a future which by faith makes it a present reality. 
not just something that is hoped for, but something that is in your possession so that you can be confident and certain that today you have eternal life. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.